I mean, I am so proud to be an American. Actually, she said I was about to take my own life. That you're not alone and that your brain is lying to you and that people do care about you and you will be missed if you're gone. I lost my daughter. She died by suicide. And I looked at him. I knew he was dead. And then I had to go treat the guy who shot him. And don't give up. Negu. N-E-G-U. Never, ever give up. Thank you for tuning in to this special series of Faith in Your Recovery. We're coming to you live from Lucas Oil Stadium at the Fire Department International Conference. We hope you enjoy these stories from the front lines. Stay tuned and God bless. Faith in your recovery. Thanks for joining us here at the Fire Department Instructors Conference in Indianapolis. We're glad to have our guest with us today, Chris Kozak. Welcome, Chris. Hello, thank you. Tell the folks where you're from. Tell them a little bit about what you do in life right now. Okay, I am. Uh, I, I live in Illinois. I work on a fire department in Illinois. I've been there uh, about 24 years now. What do you do on the fire department, Chris? Uh, I'm a captain now. Okay. Okay. So I run a. I'm in charge of my station. Um, I oversee all three shifts, and then I have my own shift of. Uh, there's four or five of us on any, any given day, and we run an engine and ambulance out of there. Okay. So how many people are employed through your department there? Uh, right around a hundred. Wow, so you've got a lot of responsibility just getting that coordinated, I'd think. Well, I don't have to coordinate the 100. I'm only in charge of uh, about 12. Okay, so. okay. Well, that's got to keep your hands yeah. full times, <laughs> I'm sure, depending on the given moment. It can. <laughs> what got you into this field, Chris? Uh, probably uh, as a child, my dad, he was kind of into going around watching fires, you know, and he would take me with him and stuff. So I always had a... Uh, a goal to be in public service. I originally wanted to be in law enforcement, and then I got involved in the fire department as a volunteer, and I decided I'd rather do that. Uh, it seemed like it was a little, little bit more for me. So how many years have you been about that? Oh, uh, since I was 18, so we're, uh, we're right around 29 years right now total. Aha, uh-huh. all right. Are you looking at retirement down the road here, or is that much of a thought? Three years. Uh, I've, got, <laughs> I've got my day picked out. <laughs> 2025, so. So it's much more than a thought. It's more I than mean, a thought. Yeah, the, the plans are starting to come together. Well, hooray for you. And so. I think you told me last night after that you're wanting to move out west. Is that right? That's correct. We're going to move out to Arizona and get away from the winters here and I can't enjoy am- some sun. Why would you want to get away from the winters <laughs> in Indiana? or even over in Illinois. Yeah, I'm, I'm tired of the bitter cold. You know, I can handle a little bit of snow, but the bitter cold, I'm done. <laughs> so you're from Bolingbrook, yes? I live in Bolingbrook now, yes. Um, okay. So I, I'm, I'm from that whole area around there. Where is that relative to Chicago for folks like me who may not know? So that's about 30 miles uh, due west of Chicago. Okay, that's a good indicator. Yep. Most of us know how to get to the Windy City, well, that's okay? Right. So good deal. All right. So you say you started at about the age of 18. Yep, so I got out of high school, and uh, me and my buddy decided uh, to get on the <clears throat> volunteer fire department because we didn't know anything about it, and we just wanted to check it out. And we went and joined, and they took us. So we started oh. there, went to the fire academy, and just kind of progressed from there. Who was Chris prior to that? Let's go back to those younger days of, of old, all right? Yeah. What were your interests? Uh, yeah. I've always been interested in playing sports and, and doing outdoor activities. So I played a lot of football. 
a little bit of basketball and baseball, and then um, I enjoy getting out and doing deer hunting and pheasant hunting and stuff like that, and then some fishing. Just sounds like a lot of good Midwest <laughs> life, okay? There's so many around here like to live. Yep. Yeah, yep. and you got to do that. Then at the so. age of 18, you and your friend made a move toward uh, serving people in a very direct way. Yes, yes, and that, that that is ultimately why we got into it. Helping people is something we've always liked to do, so and that seemed like a good way to do it, and then I found out you can get paid to do it, too. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you a question. How soon did the novelty wear off? Uh, yeah, or has it? it are, I would say it's not completely worn off. Um, I still I still enjoy what I do. I still like helping people. I still enjoy going to work. I'm just, uh, I'm just getting older. And, uh, you know, going to fires is different now, whereas when I was younger, it was the most exciting thing in the world, where now I'm responsible for other people when we go to fires, too. So... From that aspect, it's a little, you know, I have to take it more seriously than I did when I was younger. When you're younger, you want to play. When you're older, you want to make sure the guys playing don't get hurt. So Exactly, yeah. Then you could just jump in, but right. now you're jumping in with 12 others on your shoulder or whatever. And right. you're wanting to make sure that everything's good as can be under the circumstances. You want everybody to go home in the shape they went there in. Yes, yes. I'm sure that's a good adage. So what's that been like for you? It's been How good. Is- Okay. How has that played out for you personally, Chris? Well, <clears throat> I, I've had my struggles. Um, I, I've, I've had to go into treatment a few years ago. I uh, suffered with some pretty severe depression and anxiety, and I, uh, I, I did have a suicide attempt um, in 2020, and uh, that really opened my eyes up. I didn't know I was suffering from depression or anything like that. Um, I don't remember what happened that night. I just know that it happened. Uh, there was, you know, there was some medication involved and some alcohol and stuff, so I have no memory of the incident. But what it came down to was, it wasn't necessarily a PTSD or specifically the job issue, but it was a matter of peer pressure and having issues outside of the job, and then trying to come to work and and not show anybody that you're having those problems because of the culture of the fire service and being all macho and you got to, you know, you can't be soft and weak. So. You know, trying to fight that and and not let people see it was it, it, difficult, and it all caught up to me eventually, and uh, it got the best of me at one point. And if it wasn't for my wife, I wouldn't be sitting here doing this podcast with you right now. So. Well, we're glad you are here and thankful for her, obviously. Yes. Okay, do you know what it was that sent you into that depression? You said it wasn't necessarily the, yeah. the profession, but what sent you that way, do you think? Have you been able to uncover that to a point? Yeah, through the last couple of years of therapy and working with therapists, we've been able to, to uncover it. it. It's been a lot of um, childhood trauma and just the, the way I grew up and trying to deal with that and then trying to fit into the fire service and, and hide all of the pain when you're at work. And then so when you go home, you're broken. When you're at work, nobody knows. And it all it just caught up to me. Can you share any of that childhood trauma? Just give us an idea of what that was. I don't have specifics on it. Okay. It's more of um, the way the therapist explained it. It's just it, it's more of not getting what was needed throughout childhood, as far as some sort of deprivation. Yes. So um, it's hard to explain. It's not like I said. It's not a specific incident. It's no, just it's just that. a way. It's, it was years and years and years of building up. Yeah. And it didn't it wasn't just my childhood. It continued through my adult life with my family and my parents okay. not getting along with my wife and, and cause, just causing all kinds of problems in my in my life. 
So it was, um, it's hard when it's your family oh. causing these problems for you. You bet. So it's, we've been working on all that and getting through all that. Do you think that had anything to do with your career choice, that you knew if you were able to go in and save the day for somebody, so to speak, that that would be an affirmation of pat on the back? You could leave there feeling good about having conquered that moment and helping them out. That was a big part of it. And it turns out that's a big part of why I do what I do now. Um, that and then having that family atmosphere at work that I was missing in my life. So I, I was drawn to that. Having the guys at work be a family that are close and, and they do treat you the way you want to be treated. It was nice. Well, I've got to think I've never been in your shoes as far as far. <laughs> I almost said as fire <laughs> as far as working, you know, as a a fireman. But the camaraderie, that family aspect, that trust has to be there because it's life and death otherwise. Yeah, yeah we have to take care of each other for sure. Yeah. Um, we have to know all know each other's abilities and we all have to rely on each other to, to do those abilities when needed. Um, we all rely on each other no matter what our rank or time on a job is. We're all the same when we go to a fire. We all have to help each other out the same. Because you all want to get out of there as good as you went in or however it was you labeled that a few moments ago. We all want to go back to the station in the shape we left in. So There you go. Thank you for reminding me of that. You may have to again. <laughs> no problem. But uh, I'm sure there were times where you'd lost those friends or there were injuries or, oh yeah, you know, those moments that you just, you go through the woulda, coulda, shouldas and everything second guessing and yet you did the best you could do in that moment yeah and you know that's all you can do is the best and you know at the end of the day whatever happens happens regardless of what we do and you have to learn how to be okay with that with the results not always being the way you want them because they're not always going to be the way we want them absolutely not and sometimes that's just hard to get past when things don't work out the way we want them to yes yes uh i'll just throw in a little tidbit here i came across an automobile accident just within the last two weeks one of the first people there somebody had already contacted emergency medical services in no time they were on the scene we were there with the individual my assessment was not critical until I read in the paper seven days later the gentleman had passed away. Okay. So the best laid schemes, and you do what you can do, but like you said, you can't always get it done. No, so I've been fortunate. Like I said, I don't suffer from PTSD. I've been fortunate to, to have an attitude in my job of no matter what happens on that call, they're in, better, they're in a better position than they were before we got there. If we, get, if, we go, if we show up, they're better off than they were when we got there no matter what happens. If we didn't save them, it's not because we didn't do our job, it's because they couldn't be saved. It was beyond you. So, and I try to let guys know you have to have that approach or this stuff is going to eat you up over time. And just not everybody can do it though. So, you know, some people will, everybody copes differently. Absolutely, yes. What kind of turnover have you seen with the folks you've worked with? Maybe they couldn't handle that loss as they thought they could. That's not critical. It's just fact for some people. Yeah, and it's usually not. It's usually not one call. Some people sure. it is, but a lot of times it's buildup. You know, we're a busy department for our area, and we go on a lot. Of, we go on a lot of medical runs, and the ones that the ones that really seem to bother guys the most are young kids. You know, because 
the kids can't advocate for themselves that you know either their parents or another adult has to do that and they haven't lived their life yet i just spoke with someone a little bit ago and that caused them their trauma and their issues and and they continually mention the loss of kids yep and that's a very common one that's the hardest thing for all of us is losing kids because the, the kids are innocent Yes, and I don't think that is just uh, related to the emergency medical services. I'm a retired minister of 35 years, and I've yet to bury a young person that the family didn't just hurt beyond anything they could imagine. Yeah, I can't imagine going through that myself. There's something about it. It's the wrong order. Yes. uh, That, you know, it's supposed to be, pardon me, folks, grandparents, parents, then yourself, and you're to grow into that generation. You know, as a generation, it's not to happen at the age of 5 or 9 or 19. It's supposed to be 91, 95. And the problem is when we go to those calls, they're very emotional calls. Um, not just for us, but the family. You know, the family's losing a child. That's hard on our guys, too, because they, they know that. They know that that is there in the background while they're working on that family's child. All they want to do is get that child back for them. Uh, and I'm going to guess they've got to be able to relate because they may have a child of that same general age, give or take a couple, three years, and they fight and battle for their own. They're going to do that for someone else's. Absolutely. Most of our guys on the ambulance all have young children because our younger guys are our ambulance guys. So they all have young children. So, yes, they all can relate when they go to those calls to having young children. So, you know, I always, after those calls, I always talk to them and say, hey, go home, enjoy your family today, remember what you got, hug your kids, and just just be glad you're going home to your kids today. Yes, yes. What kind of wear and tear do you see on on the rest of your team, on, uh, you know, those who are there in the department with you? How do most of them deal with their stress and stressors? Oh, I would say up until I had my incident, nobody did at all. (laughs) So uh, the year prior to my incident, one of our firemen took his own life, and that kind of, that shook our department pretty hard. Um, So we've been making a lot of changes since then. And then I had my incident, my attempted suicide the year after. So that that really woke me up. And I, you know, I've become involved with the worldwide peer support now, trying to uh, help other people not go down the same road I went down. I didn't know I was in trouble. If it happened, I mean, now I would know, but going back, I wouldn't, I still wouldn't catch it had I not had the experience I had. Even in hindsight, you don't, you didn't see anything leading up to that decision. No. Okay. So, um, the young, so now our department is being more progressive with the mental health stuff. And I, you know, my shift, I talk to my guys, I tell them what happened to me. You know, if you you guys ever start feeling overwhelmed with anything, calls, home life, anything, let me know. Talk to me. I said I got. I you know I can get you some help if you don't want to talk to me personally. We'll find somebody else for you to talk to. But just just speak up before it gets before you get in a position where you can't help yourself anymore. You can't speak. Right. Yes. So. How did the department as a whole handle it when you chose to uh, you know t- to get some help? They so I went. <clears throat> So when I went for treatment, nobody knew what was going on with me. Um, the department kept it pretty quiet in the beginning, and then they slowly told them what happened. But it was actually, I was nervous about going into treatment and what people would think, but everybody was actually very supportive. I got letters from all the shifts when I was out there. Uh, I got text messages and phone calls from people, and everybody was happy that I did it. 
you know, and that I was coming back to work as opposed to the alternative, which happened a year prior with our yes. other guy. You know, if we could have avoided that, we would have by all means avoided that. Nobody, nobody saw that coming, as did nobody see, see it coming with me. Nobody had any idea that I was going to do that, including myself. So, you know, it's scary that somebody could be in that much trouble and not even know it. So that's why we're trying to just help everybody be aware. You know, if you start feeling this way, don't feel bad about it. Get help. Yes, yes. All right, you made the comment when you went out there. Was that to Maryland also? Yes, sir, I did. I went to the Center of Excellence in Maryland. That's where I met Skip So and a bunch of other guys. And, we're, you know, out of, coming out of there, we started the worldwide peer support, trying to help others and to get into treatment when they need it. Tell the folks what it was like there at Maryland. Uh, what was the process? How did they reach out to you? What was your involvement, your commitment style? Out in Maryland? So originally, um, after I got out of the hospital, I actually started doing treatment back home in, a, in a, a mental facility, a mental health facility, and it just wasn't going very good. It, they weren't really relating with anything I was experiencing. And my chief wanted me to go out to Maryland, and I, I did not know what the center of excellence was at the time, and I did not want to go anywhere for 30 days. But after a few days of the treatment I was in, and it wasn't working, I said, okay, I'm going to go check it out. So I called there. I went and did it. I went out there to do a little tour with my wife and a buddy of mine, and I decided, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to check in here because it's it's only for union firemen. Okay. So I'm like, okay, so at least everybody does the same thing I do. I said, so we'll give it a try. When I got there, I, I couldn't tell you of a better experience. Um, it was like going to work with a bunch of firemen that I know, even though I had never met any of them. Uh, they, were, they were right there to help me, pick me up off the ground, show me around, you know, and get me going into the plan the way we were supposed to do it. And I made some really good friends there, like probably lifelong friends going forward or all around the country. I still go around and, and meet some of them. Um, whenever I can, and uh, the treatment there was phenomenal. What did it look like? How did the treatment play out? Well, when you get there, it's a little confusing because they don't really tell you anything. They want you to figure it out on your own, so you get, <laughs> you're trying to figure out where you're going to go, but they have different buildings there, and each building there's different classes going on every day, and based on whatever you're there for, you go to different classes throughout the day with different people, and it's all group session, so you get... You quickly realize that you're there with all your brothers and sisters in the fire service who all have pretty much a similar story as you and you realize you're not alone anymore same fire same trauma different location same circus different clowns we like to say <laughs> that makes sense as well so, yes but yes. an amazing experience um i wouldn't like i said i wouldn't even be here i wouldn't be nearly as good a shape as i am without that place it was a very eye-opening experience. I would, you know, I recommend it to firemen all the time, even if they don't, they're not having big problems. I mean, hey, you know, look I into it. Get yeah. it before it gets so big, but, right? Yeah, they're, they're an amazing company. They, you know, they only take firemen, and that in itself is a big help because everybody can relate to each other there. The identity factor, you, you can tell each other stories many times, I would think. For every story you hear there, you've experienced it. You just got done mentioning a moment ago about the place there at Maryland. Tell us that name again. The Center of Excellence. It's it's uh, Center of Excellence. It's sponsored by the International Association of Firefighters, which is our our union, our firefighter union across the U.S. and Canada. Okay. Uh, you have to be a member of the IFF to get in to the Center of Excellence. They turn people away every day. 
They call. They want to get in there. They won't take you if you're not in the IAFF. You can and you can be retired, and you just got to be in the IAFF uh, as a retired member in good standing. So can anybody, any fireman, join the IAFF? No, no. To be in the IAFF, you have to get on a, a union department. You have to get on a department that is a member of the IAFF. It's going to be a full-time fire department, paid department. And they pay dues to the union, and then the union is our, our representation for negotiating our contracts and stuff and our working rights. Okay, so as a volunteer fireman, I would not be eligible to go there. That's correct. Okay. Okay, thank you for that clarification. There are other facilities, though, that, that volunteer firemen can go to, just not that one. Gotcha, gotcha. So obviously that worked for you. That was a good experience in the sense of the healing and the help that it brought. I'm going to guess they put a lot of tools in your box that you didn't have when you went there. So how do you deal now with any form of PTSD, extra stress, your past, your history, those moments is there a trigger that'll set you off? And if so, how do you deal with it when that trigger goes? Yeah, so that's, so basically at the Center of Excellence, they give you the tools, like you mentioned, to learn how to deal with those triggers. Um, almost everybody there is triggered by something, which is why you're there in the first place. So going, going beyond that, you know, it, it's, it's work pretty much for the rest of your life after that, trying to deal with those triggers. Sure. Because those triggers are still going to be there after treatment. It's learning how to, how to respond to them the proper way and respond to your feelings the proper way. You're always going to have feelings. You can't control that. But what you can control is how you react to those feelings. Exactly. Well, that's what I struggled with. I would, uh, I would lose my temper really fast. And I have to work to not do that when I'm triggered. And it's, just, it's, it's, it's training. It's like, it's like learning how to fight fires. It's training. You get the training, you have to practice it, and it works. If you practice it, it works, but it's, it's actually probably much harder than firefighting to practice those um, methods that keep you out of that. I do much better now. I don't do perfect at it, but I do much better, and I'm getting better all the time. I get triggered less and less, and I know how to handle it better and better every time, but I still run into those situations where I, I struggle with it. But I have my wife there to, to help me through it now because she's been on this journey with me. She understands yes. where I'm at now. Can you define one of those triggers for you that if it were to occur, you'd have to dig into your toolbox? And I know sometimes those moments hit without being able to pre-identify, but could you mention one? Yeah, for me, a lot of it is um, family stuff. You know, if, if my kids are, or a family member and I aren't getting along for some reason or having a disagreement, that could be a big trigger for me. And then it, it kind of sends me into this... I don't understand why things aren't going right mode. So now when I recognize that, I, have to, I just have to stop and take a deep breath and go, okay, this is what's going on. They just don't agree with me. It's okay. They don't have to agree with me. So Used to, you wouldn't do that. I'm no, I would, the yeah, I would just get mad and start. And go back at them Absolutely, somehow. yep. Yeah, the battle becomes war in no time. And, that, you know, that's at work and at home. But now when I, when I start to feel that coming up, I can say, okay, this is what this is. This is how we have to react to it. We can't do that. We have to do this. So, and it works. Yeah, yeah. What would you like to go back and say to the 18-year-old Chris that's just going into the uh, work as a uh, firefighter? Uh, just, just have fun and don't let the don't let the little things bother you. 
what would you tell someone today who's going into firefighting? Would you advise that? Or do you think that that they should go into something else? What would you say to someone who just walked up and said, hey, I see you're a firefighter, I'm interested. What would you say? It's still a great job. You still get to help people every day. Um, I would just let them know, you know, if you're going to do this, just be aware. There's a lot of things that you're going to see that most people don't ever see. And it's a lot to take in. It's a lot to hold on to. Don't be afraid to talk to somebody about it. Don't hold it in. You're going to see things that you shouldn't have to see all the time. And it, it will wear you out. Um, if you don't have the right attitude about it, it can, it can bring you down fast. So just, just be aware of how things are affecting you when you do this job. But what, in, but enjoy it. What wore you out the most, the physical or the mental aspect? Well, now I'm getting older, so the physical aspect. But, I mean, I can, I still enjoy it physically, but, I, you know, I'm a little slower than I used to be. And uh, mentally I've moved up in the department, so I have some rank. And so, you know, there's more headaches that come with that as long as, you know, you get better pay, but there's a lot more headaches that come with the, those promotions too. So it gets mentally draining, but... It's like anything else. When you do it enough, it just kind of go into autopilot and just kind of kind of go until something changes and you have to think how to how to handle something different. Yeah, yeah. What what kind of turnover is there in your department? Uh, there's not much. We've only had, and actually for a long time when I got into the fire service, nobody would leave. You got on a department, you stayed there, and you and you you finished out your career there. Um, the last, I'd say the last eight years or so, though, we've had some guys come in and decide they just didn't like our department and they would go somewhere else. And now we're in, a, we're in a phase where fire departments are having a hard time getting people to take jobs, which, you know, back when I took it, it was competitive to get the job. Now they're begging people to take the job. So we don't have a lot of turnover, but it's, it's starting to look different. Okay, okay. Do you think that's just where we are as a society because getting people... <laughs> kind of work is a challenge or do you think it has a, does it lean toward the profession more so I think it's a little of both I think you, obviously we all we all see what's going on in the country right now with employment there's, there's a lot of people looking for workers and there's not a lot of workers um, as far as the, the job itself it's harder to get into now because Back when I got into it, you could just get on a volunteer department and get all your training. They'd pay for all that. Now you have to go to school, go to college. You have to find a department that will sponsor you. And there's there's not a lot of volunteer departments left in our area. They've all become career departments. So the opportunity isn't as plentiful as it used to be yes. to get the training, to get started. Okay, so there's not that initial support and invitation that was once there. I don't know if I'd be doing it if I couldn't just join and do it because I'm a very hands-on visual learner. Like if I had to go read about it in books for two years first, I don't know if I'd even be doing it. So I had no idea that qualification existed, okay? Yeah, I'm still back in the old day, I guess. Yeah, well, I like to learn hands-on. I don't like, you know, I don't like to learn out of a book. So it was easy for me to get on and okay i like this so i just stayed, start, with, stayed it. with it and learned how to do it yes yes families of firefighters tell us about some of what they go through i know you <laughs> said you had some personal you know family anger issues in moments but go beyond that yeah i'm sure make it a little more generic yeah i'm sure my family has been you know they they've been run through the gamut I, i've put them through hell really um 
you go to work, you work for 24 hours, you come home, you're beat, you're tired, you're just seeing the worst things you could, you could imagine. And then you come home and your family expects you to come home like you came home from an eight hour day in an office and ready to be just ready to be with the family. And all you want to do is sometimes just be left alone for a little bit just to process everything you went through and maybe take a nap because you've been up all night or whatever. So I'd come home crabby a lot of times. And I'd try to run my house like I ran my shift at work. You know, I'm a boss at work. I'm okay. not the boss at home. It's, it's, it's a team game. You know, it's, we work together. She's, I'm not her boss. And that was hard for me to stop doing that. Um, you know, a third of my life I spend at work. And when I'm at work and I run things that way, it works. Well, that doesn't translate into home life. Gotcha. You know, I, I had to learn that because I wanted it to because it's just easier. That's not how home life works. They're very different, and they have, to, they have to be treated different. So you've got to be able to separate from work. You're not necessarily going to separate your heart and your emotions. No. But when you get home, you've got to be able to change gears. Yeah, you've got you to leave the fire department at the fire department and come home and be, you know, be with the family. I'm sure that's got to be difficult from both ways, to leave the family and leave family at home when you're at the department and then vice versa when you get home. Yeah, and I think it gets harder as you get older. You know, in the beginning, it's easy. You're just going to work, and you're having fun. But as you get older, you, still, you know, you're, you're more attached to your family and your job. So it does, it gets harder to leave each one separate. I cannot imagine having a job that I dreaded going to. No, me neither. Uh, to think that for the next eight hours, ten hours, the shift, you know, three days in a row, whatever it's going to be. To be miserable during that time, I'm just thankful I've never had to deal with that. Me too. You know, I've loved every day I've gone to work. I still love it. Um, I'm looking forward to retirement, but I love what I do. I'm just, I'm getting older, and physically it's it's getting a little harder, and I think, you know, just getting, it's getting close to time. Yeah. It all it's time for somebody toy. younger to come in and take their turn. The game changes, and we're not always able to change with the game. That's okay? right. Okay? <laughs> I've noticed that myself. So uh, how, how do you feel supported by the citizens of your area? When I say you, I mean your department. And what advice would you like to give to us citizens who aren't on the fire department? <laughs> so I'm lucky. Our department and our community, um, we're very respected by our community. And, and that's kudos to our guys because they go out and they treat, they treat the public right when we go on calls. You know, we don't... Works both ways. They're not a burden to us. You know, we're there to help them. And, and that's the way it should be. That, you know, they pay taxes for a service. We're the service and we should provide the service in a, in a polite way. And people call us. They're calling us because something's wrong in their life. They're not calling us to, to inconvenience us. They're calling us because they don't know what to do. And we come there and, and try to resolve that for them. So... Our community is really good. Anytime we've ever re leaned on the community to get a referendum passed or anything like that, they've done it for us. You know, they're always very supportive of us when we need their help, as well as we are to them when they need our help. So what do you want us civilians to know? What can we do to help even more? Well, you know, that's tough because, I mean, I think everybody does what they think is the best thing to do already and sometimes it just doesn't work out for them um, you know all you can ask anybody from the public is just take care of yourself 
and, and try not to hurt anybody else. And then please move out of our way when we're on the road. You know, that, that's probably the biggest thing for anybody is just, just let us get through. Because it seems like a lot of people just don't want to move for us anymore. I, I've seen it, and I hate to admit it once or twice. I've been guilty in the sense I didn't know it until that truck was up on me or something. Yeah, if you don't in know it, you don't know ha- it. Right. But when you know it and you won't move, that's, you know. That's a different Somebody's story. waiting for us to get there. And if it was our loved one, we'd be out of your way first right. thing and waving everybody else away, I'm yeah. sure. So just, just think about the fact that we're going to help somebody, and they probably need our, they probably need us to be there as quick as possible yeah yeah well listen we thank you for the work you do for your service to community and mankind the risk you've taken the the effort you've put into it as well as the rest of your team there at your uh, at your department we wish hope and pray the best for you let me in with this question the name of our podcast is faith in your recovery what does that mean to you Oh, to me, that means believing in what I've learned and, and believing that it'll work and, and, and having faith. And I do have faith. I, I, I'm, you know, I, I grew up Catholic, and I, and I believe in God. I don't necessarily practice and go to church all the time, but I do believe uh, in the Catholic way, and I practice that in my daily life. And without it, it would be a lot harder. Um, uh, for me, anyways, it, it's an important part of recovery is having some faith but also you have to have faith in the recovery process. If you do both of those, I think it works really well. Faith in self, the process, and God. Yep. Not necessarily that order for me, but no they're all order. important. Yep. They're all important. Well, listen, Chris, we thank you for your time, for everything you're doing. God bless you and your family. Uh, three years from now, did you say? 25 yep. is yep. when you're looking at retirement. Hope that comes quick. Hope that comes safely. <laughs> and you make a good transition out west, and it's all you want it to be. That's right. Thank you very much. You bet. God bless and thank you.